Hello, South Dakotans. Welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, aiming to keep America, its citizens, and minds free. Now, here's your host, Daryl Root. Hello, and welcome to the Dakota Rustler Show, episode number 81. Oh, we're experimenting with some lighting here to see how well this goes. So anyway, today's main topic is college green hypocrisy. And I'll get to that in the second half of the show. But first, my usual shout out to Danheim, the provider of all the music. And also to Arabelle Kimmick, who does all the announcing on this show. She can be found at arabellevoiceoverartist.com. In addition, you can help support this show by subscribing to YouTube and or any of my other channel platforms. It helps with the algorithms that send out recommendation to others, which of course will help this program grow. So let's get right into tidbits. For those new first-time listeners, this is where I take a few events from the last week or so and make quick comments on them. Today it's going to be a little bit shorter than usual because my main topic is going to be a little bit longer than usual. So let's get to it. Number one, the United States is looking to crack down on environmental criminals behind surging deforestation in a Brazilian Amazon forest using penalties such as my favorite word, sanctions, to tackle climate change more aggressively according to U.S. sources. And anybody that knows me knows I use the word sanction sarcastically. The U.S. already uses a toolkit of tax incentives, diplomatic nudges, and complex slow-moving bilateral accords. Deforestation in the Brazilian forest has hit a 15-year high under outgoing President Jair Bolsonaro, who rolled back environmental protections and pushed for more mining and commercial farming in the Amazon. Maybe, just possibly, because they need an economy. People need jobs, they need to make money, they need to feed their family. What's more important, your family or a tree? Uh, the leftist president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, will take office on January 1st and has already pledged to end deforestation at the COP27 climate summit in Egypt, which was just held. Yet, there are still question marks about how he views the plan. Lula believes Washington helped Brazilian prosecutors jail on graft charges and has often scoffed at the long arm of the U.S. law enforcement, which of course extends everywhere. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can't escape it because we are an empire, even though we don't like to admit it. Sanctions would freeze any U.S. assets and bar all Americans and U.S. companies from dealing with sanctioned individuals or entities. In other words, affecting people who have zero or very little to do and simply don't participate in any of the deforestation that is happening. Such sanctions were introduced in 2019 against a Cambodian tycoon and ruling party official for building a large-scale illegal logging consortium in collusion with officials. I didn't have time to check how well that worked out, but I'm assuming it probably didn't work out at all. Number two. 
Moldova and Ukraine on Wednesday accused Russia of blackmail after state-run Russian gas company Gazprom threatened to reduce gas flows to Moldova via the Ukraine last week, just as cold weather prompts Europeans to start tapping their inventories. Eastern European countries remain more vulnerable to the shutdown of gas Russian flows and could run out of gas this winter if they cannot find alternative sources of energy. Last Tuesday, Gazprom accused the Ukraine of keeping gas supplies destined for Moldova and said it could start reducing gas supplies to Moldova that pass through Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, has denied withholding Russian gas meant for Moldova, but could they be? They are war victims and they're in need of, well, pretty much everything when your country's being destroyed. You kind of want to hang on to what you got, don't you? As a country or an individual, whatever, you should never be dependent on anyone else, be it a person, business or country always diversify be prepared number three women have accused jeffrey epstein of sexual abuse filed lawsuits against deutsche bank and jp morgan chasing company alleging the banks financially benefited from the late financiers alleged sex trafficking operations so let me get this straight so if I benefited, so if I benefited from Jeff's, Jeffrey Epstein purchasing flooring off me and having it installed in his house in a room where these sexual flings happen, can I be sued too? I mean, where do the associations end? Are they suing just because they're guilty of association, or did they actually have something to do with it? The women who were not identified in the court filing cite U.S. federal anti-sex trafficking laws and are seeking class action status. In the lawsuits filed last Thursday, the plaintiffs accused the banks of, and I quote, providing the requisite financial support for the continued operation of Epstein's international sex trafficking organization, unquote in violation of the Racketeering Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, better known as RICO, a U.S. law used to target illegal conspiracies that originally was designed to target organized crimes. Quote, Epstein's sex trafficking venture was not possible without the assistance and complicity of a financial institution, seriously, specifically a banking institution, which provided his operation with an appearance of legitimacy and special treatment to the sex trafficking venture, thereby ensuring its confined, continued operation and sexual abuse and sex trafficking of young women and girls, unquote. Lawyers for the anonymous plaintiff wrote in the Deutsche Bank lawsuit. So, I guess now banks are supposed to know what every one of their customers do every minute of the day. Do we really think the banks would have gave them money if they knew Epstein was doing sex trafficking? Yeah, actually, today's world, maybe. But anyway, 
as far as my bank's concerned, they're not going to know any more about me than what is absolutely necessary to do my account. I mean, it's just none of their business what I do on the side, and they should not be held responsible for anything that I do on the side, which may be questionable or illegal, not that I do any of that. Number four. President Joe Biden said on Thursday that his administration was involved in negotiations to avert a looming U.S. railroad strike that could shut down supply chains across the country, but added that he has not directly engaged on the matter yet. And this was as of a couple days ago when I put this together. More than 300 groups, including retail and manufacturing groups, urged Biden last month to get involved to help avoid a strike that could idle shipments of food and fuel while inflicting billions of dollars of damage to an already struggling economy. How steep would this be? A rail traffic stoppage could freeze almost 30% of U.S. cargo shipments by weight, stoke inflation, and cost the American economy as much as $2 billion per day by unleashing a cascade of transport woes affecting U.S. energy, agriculture, manufacturing, healthcare, and retail sectors. And maybe we go need to go back to when uh, Reagan busted the uh, airline unions, you know. Who knows? Maybe that's an answer. Labor unions have criticized the railroad sick leave and attendance policies and the lack of paid sick days for short-term illness. There are no paid sick days under the tentative deal. Uh, unions asked for 15 paid sick days, and the railroad settled on one personal day. I've never had 15 sick days in my life. In fact, I've never had a job where I had any sick days. When you've got a good... Railroad workers make good money. You can afford a sick day off here and there without it being paid for. You probably, they probably already get a bunch of vacations, so... Hey, but... I'm all for two-way bargaining, whatever it comes to it, so let it happen. All right, with that, we're going to take a short break. I'll be back in about 50 seconds. For all things Dakota Rustler related, please visit dakotarustler.org. The website contains links to media sites, a merchandise store, and a button to donate to the show. Your support helps to pay for expenses of production, as well as research time. Feedback is appreciated, and comments or topic ideas can be sent to the email address listed on the website. Sponsorships are also available if you have a business to promote. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. Just a word for next week's podcast. My next live stream may be delayed until Thursday for personal reasons. Usually I put everything for this podcast together on a Monday and a Tuesday, but I'm going to be very occupied on Monday and Tuesday. At this point, I'm still planning for Wednesday, but it will probably be delayed until Thursday. So make note of that. All right, let's get on to the main topic. This is from a Reuters special report. U.S. colleges talk green, but 
they actually have a dirty secret. U.S. U.S. universities love to brag about their energy-efficient buildings, their environmental course offerings, and their research on climate change. Some have even culled oil stocks from their investment portfolios. However, dozens of America's leading schools still use some of the dirtiest fossil fuels to light, heat, and cool their campuses. Most of these facilities use equipment that cranks out smog pollution at rates that exceed the average generated by the boilers and turbines powering the nation's commercial electric utilities, oil refineries, and paper mills. And we all know paper mills are quite dirty. The list of big emitters includes elite Ivy League schools, large public universities, and small private colleges. So it's all around. Dartmouth College burns sludgy oil. The University of North Carolina clings to coal. So does the University of Kentucky, where a campus boiler used to generate steam heat emits poisonous mercury at a rate that puts it among the worst coal-fired power plants nationwide. Harvard University has trimmed fossil fuels fuel investments from its endowment to show its commitment to fighting climate change, yet the school's power plant still burns dirty fuel oil in 1960s era boilers to generate heat and electricity campus electricity for the campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Excuse me. The four universities I just mentioned said their power plants operate within regulatory pollution limits. They add that they are using some renewable energy on campus to reduce their carbon footprint. Many universities operate their own power plants to ensure themselves a supply of cheap and reliable power. Did you hear that? Cheap and reliable, what everybody wants. And to avoid dependence on surrounding electric grids that often are decaying from age and underinvestment. Combined, the 103 university plants that Reuters investigated emitted an average, an estimated, excuse me, 5.8 million tons of greenhouse gases in 2020, the equivalent of 1.1 million cars. Reuters obtained nitrogen oxide data from 89 U.S. universities, some of it publicly available from state regulators, the rest secured through state public record requests. Nitrogen oxides form powerful greenhouse gases as well as smog and acid rain. Two-thirds of the 89 plants for which Reuters obtained nitrous oxide data lack sophisticated pollution controls commonly used in the commercial power market to cut emissions. Nearly half of the university plants for which Reuters obtained carbon dioxide data produce more carbon dioxide per megawatt hour of power generated in 2020 than did commercial utilities and other generators supplying the electric grid in their areas. So what we have here is we're just proving that colleges, which love to preach green, are actually dirtier than your average power plants if they were tied to them. To their credit, though, the absolute volume of carbon dioxide emitted collectively by those 103 campus plants has declined 13% since 2013. Still, that drop is less than half 
the reduction that electric grid power plants achieved over the same time period, and nearly a quarter of the campus plants actually emitted more carbon dioxide in 2020 than they did in 2013. Anti-coal activist Neil Wagoner, a senior advocate for the Sierra Club, said U.S. universities that trumpet leadership and research on climate issues need to make a priority of cleaning up their own generating plants. In the case of nitrous oxide, which has a global warming potential, 273 times greater than carbon dioxide, the campus power plants rank very poorly compared to their commercial counterparts, according to the EPA. The college with the highest rate of nitrogen oxide emissions was the University of Wyoming. Last year, one of its three 40-year-old coal-fired boilers produced nitric nitrous oxide at a rate of 0.62 pounds per million BTU. That rate was nine times higher than the 2021 national average of nearly 2,500 combustion units at work in about 800 grid-connected power plants across the country. The University of Wyoming declined to comment for this story as Wyoming produced about 41% of the country's coal in 2020, the most of any state. So, yeah, I can see why they wouldn't want to comment. In all but a few cases, their universities reviewed by Reuters did not exceed their legal pollution limits. However, listen up. Colleges routinely are exempt from the stricter rules governing commercial players because the maximum output of their power plant generators is below 25 megawatts, a key threshold for tighter scrutiny, and because they don't produce electricity for sale. So if you don't sell what you produce, I guess you can be as dirty as you want to be. By contrast, large commercial and industrial power plants that produce electricity for the grid are mandated to meet lower emission limits. Last year, 81% of fossil fuel fire generation was produced by combustion units fitted with advanced add-on pollution control equipment targeting nitrous oxide, while just one-third of the 89 university plants for which Reuters obtained the data had such modern equipment. So 81% versus 33%. So, yeah, everyone loves to pick on business. They love the colleges, trust the science. Well, the science is a lot dirtier than the commercial business end of it. How about that? More than 80% of campus power plants analyzed by Reuters are classified as a major source of pollution under the federal clean air program. One such plant is in America's largest city. About a decade ago, New York University unveiled a new power plant that burns natural gas and fuel oil. NYU said at the time, and still does today, that it's one of the greenest universities in the country. This year, it launched a sustainable engineering initiative because, quote, climate change is the single most important issue affecting humanity, unquote. This is according to Jelena Kabasevic, Dean of the Engineering School. However, I love howevers, emissions data show that NYU's plant, which emitted 42,000 plus tons of carbon dioxide in 2020, performed poorly against its peers. 
Out of 103 campus plants reviewed by Reuters, about 80% generated less CO2 per megawatt per hour of energy produced than NYU did in 2020. The NYU plant burned mostly natural gas that year, but also nearly 8,400 barrels of fuel oil. And fuel oil comes in 42-gallon barrels, so 8,400 times 42, and you get how many gallons they burned. A lot, let's put it that way. When it comes to CO2 emissions, 15 university power plants increased carbon dioxide emissions by more than 1,500 tons between 2013 and 2020. In New Hampshire, Dartmouth College last year announced steps it was taking to address a warming planet. The school said it would commit $400 million to advanced teaching, like that does anything, and research on climate issues. You can teach and research all you want, but if you're not fixing it, you're not doing anything. It said it was shrinking fossil fuel holdings and in its endowment and vowed to reduce energy use on campus. So yeah, ooh, I'm not going to invest in oil anymore. Well, that doesn't solve anything. However, Dartmouth continues to rely exclusively on burning fuel at its campus power plant. This heavy oil known as number six bunker fuel contains a number of pollutants including potential human carcinogens leading some places to restrict its use new york state for example has banned the use of bunker fuel for heating buildings effective july 2023 nitrous oxide is also a challenge at dartmouth the boilers in its plant average 30 years of age and lack modern pollution controls according to the university's state air permit the facility this year emitted the pollutant at a rate of nearly four times higher than the average U.S. power plant connected to the grid, and Dartmouth doesn't even bother disputing these figures. Now, what about Harvard? Harvard University is another Ivy League school that cites the urgency to fight climate change. Remember, these are schools that rich parents send their kids to. These schools should be loaded with money. Last year, President Lawrence Bacall said the school's endowment no longer had direct investments in fossil fuel exploration or development companies and that it would not make such investments in the future given the need to decarbonize the economy. Again, just because you're not investing in something doesn't mean you're not polluting. However, Harvard's 113-year-old Blackstone Steam Plant, which provides heat and electricity to university buildings at its campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which, by the way, is a blue state who loves to be green, remains reliant on fossil fuels. Two 1960s-era boilers that run on fuel oil and natural gas produce nitrous oxide at a rate of 16 0.16 pounds per million per BTU. That was more than double the national rate produced by grid link power plant boilers and turbines. So again, college is dirtier than the commercial business. The performance put Harvard's boilers among the 15% most polluting equipment of the 89 universities. Some colleges, on the other hand, outperform Harvard. 
the University of Massachusetts and Amherst, a taxpayer-funded school whose endowment is about 1% the size of Harvard's $51 billion, so a much smaller school. In 2009, you, yeah, let me start that sentence over. In 2009, UMass completed a $133 million gas-fired power plant to replace its old coal-fired facility. Pollution controls at the new plant are the same ones used by commercial power plants that operate under the strictest federal limit. So a small school could do it, but a rich kid school couldn't do it. Hmm, how does that work? As a result, the school's nitrous oxide levels are among the lowest of the 89 universities analyzed by Reuters and about 90% below the national average of boilers and turbines powering the electric grid. So congratulations, UMass, you're actually doing something. The University of California, Santa Cruz, follows a similar strategy in a state known for having the most stringent pollution limits in the country. The university's main gas-fired turbine, which went online in 2015, produced nitrous oxide at just 0.0066 pounds per million, or 91% below the average rate among commercial power plant combustion. So congratulations to the University of Cal Santa Cruz. That's great. So what's my point in this entire thing? Hypocrisy. That's it. I only presented a few samples of the colleges that were listed in the investigation that failed environmental goals, despite preaching green. Biden says trust the science, yet some of those who present the science simply aren't living by what they preach. Some of them are at the most expensive colleges there are to attend. So you have to wonder, is the science really accurate? Do the highly intelligent professors and executives at these elite colleges really believe what they preach? Apparently not, because they're not being clean. If one is not allowed to question the science, then it's truly not science, it's brainwashing. True science will always seek the truth, even if the truth contradicts what has long been accepted as true as the truth so yeah trust the science you should never trust the science you should always question it as the first two words of my motto state question authority you need to question science you need to question everything all right so with that i'm going to call it another podcast don't forget my next live stream will probably be thursday instead of wednesday so be on the lookout and keep tabs on that with that As I said before, you know the mantra, question authority, and always be free. Thank you for listening to the Dakota Rustler Show, a production of D.L. Root, Buzzsprout.com, and their affiliates. Any unauthorized use of this show is prohibited. Until next time, have a great day, and don't forget to subscribe.